Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here. Listen, the rain finally showed up, didn't it? All weekend they've been saying it's going to be raining, it's going to be cloudy, it's going to be a washout, and finally it showed up. I preached up a storm in that last service in there. And I told him, I said, just relax. We're not leaving anytime soon. You can't get to your car anyway. So just sit back and relax. We'll get out of here when we get out of here. But I'm glad that you're here today. How, have you had a good week? I've had a good week. It's been a busy week. A lot of things went on this past week, but I'm grateful to be here today, grateful to see you here as well. Now, we've been talking about uh, this series, Time of Your Life, and we've been talking about, you know, the time that we have in our lives, we have to use wisely. We've said that our days are numbered, so if our days are numbered, then we really have some things we need to take care of. You know, if you've got plenty of time and there's no schedule, then you'll procrastinate, right? But if your days are numbered, then you're going to jump on things and take care of them. Our daughter, Catherine, our younger daughter, when she was little, she got to the place where she was little where she thought that that more was the best thing that you could have because less would not be as good as more, right? I mean, that makes sense when you're young. And so what she did was she snuck into Laura's purse and it was picture day at school and she got some of her lipstick and Laura didn't know it. And so she went to school and she waited. She was smart enough to wait. She waited until right before it was time for her picture. And she started putting that lipstick on. Now, if a little bit goes a long way, Catherine decided a lot would be a whole lot better. So, I mean, it was all over her face, you know. And you can definitely see her lipstick in the picture. And she was just tickled pink. She was smiling big. She was so pretty. You know, I tried to explain to her. I said, she was little. I I said, Catherine, have you ever heard the phrase, less is more? <laughs> she looked at me so funny. She was about four years old, and she said, no, it's not, Daddy. More is more. Less is just less, you know, and, and that was her thinking, and I understand that. But sometimes less is more. For her at that age, Laura, my wife, would say she was into gaudy. She was into gaudy. The gaudier, the better, right? But sometimes less is more. Today I want to talk about how to use our time wisely when it comes to work, how less can be more at work. And, you know, there, there was a myth that a lot of leaders get involved in at work, and that is that you have to learn to do everything well. When I first started out, I thought that I had to be really good at everything. I thought if I'm going to be the leader, then I have to be the best at everything. And boy, was I in for a surprise because <laughs> I'm not the best at everything. No, staff, don't say a word so, because I know that. So I have to do the things I do well, and then I have to turn to the staff and the lay leadership of the church. You know, God gave us all gifts, and that's really what the church is, isn't it? It's all of us together accomplishing God's will, using our gifts well that way. And so what I learned was this. You know, that, that my strengths, if I used my strengths, they were so much better than and far greater to the organization than marginally improved weaknesses. Now, we're looking at Psalm 90, verse 12 today, and it says, teach us to number our days that we may gain wisdom. And that's so true because God gives us wisdom and we're to use our time wisely. And so what, what, we, what I've learned the hard way is, your strengths are far more valuable to your organization than any improved weaknesses. In other words, 
I might improve a little bit in my weak areas, but I'm not going to improve enough that it's going to make that much difference. Why not give that off to somebody who does what I do weak? They do it well. Let them do it. They'll do so much better. Sometimes we're tempted to think, well, I can just do it myself. I'll do it all. But that's not always the right thing. And the less we do, the more we can accomplish. Because here's what I'm talking about. When you and I focus on what it is we're supposed to do, and we let others surround us, and do what they're supposed to do, then it works out better. Your strengths are far more valuable to your organization than your improved weaknesses. And that's true in life. And so the, the principle of focus, in other words, find out your sweet spot, find out your strengths, focus on those things, and then don't worry about the things you don't do well. If you've got other people you can rely on, you can turn to, they can do those things really well. And so you actually do fewer things, but you accomplish more because you're really excelling in the thing that you do well. And then uh, the more, the less you do, the more you enable and empower others to accomplish. Now, some of you here today wish that your boss would figure out what he or she is good at, and they would learn from that, you know? I wish I had paid closer attention to the Bible earlier. I would have figured out earlier uh, what's been taught in several places, because we're looking at Moses today in the Old Testament. And Moses, it's a great illustration of what I'm talking about. In Exodus chapter 18, it says that, you know, Moses was the one who went to Egypt. He went to the Pharaoh. He said, let my people go. And the Pharaoh said over and over again, no, I'm not going to do that. They had all the plagues and all the things that happened. And finally, Pharaoh agreed. And Moses led the men and women and children out of Egypt where they had been slaves. Now, they had been in bondage and been slaves for 400 years. You think they're used to it by now? 400 years. So it's hard to think outside the box if that's all you've ever known. But there's all kinds of a big world out there that God has for us. Sometimes we just put ourselves in a box and we think, well, God wouldn't do that in my life. I couldn't do that. God's not calling me to do that. And we just kind of live in that little confined and concealed kind of little place and we're not able to do all he wants us to do. And then they're, they're delivered, but what are they delivered to? There's no organization. He's leading them, but they don't know where they're going. And there's all these people traipsing through the desert on their way to God knows where. Moses isn't their king. He isn't their governor. He wasn't elected. He's just the guy who said, let my people go. And he's out front and he's leading two million people through the desert with no organization and no structure. And about four months into the journey, they end up at the foot of Mount Sinai. And while they're waiting for whatever's supposed to happen next, Moses receives a visitor. His father-in-law, Jethro, comes to visit. Now, apparently Moses had left his family, his wife and kids, back in the desert where he was before he came to Egypt to do what God had told him to do. So Jethro shows up and he brings Moses' wife and he brings the children so that Moses can see them because he hasn't seen them in a long time. And so they're together. And it goes on that chapter and it says, so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he bowed down and kissed him. And that's pretty much what you do. That's the ritual greeting that you have for your father-in-law, right? Whenever you see your father-in-law, you go out and bow down and kiss him, right? 
That's pretty much what we do, isn't it? So you can relate to that. And so like you and I do, that's what happened. And Jethro goes to Moses' tent, and they have dinner together. And then Jethro says, well, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's been happening. Tell me what God has been doing here. And so he kind of catches them up, and then they go to sleep. And the next day, Moses had the first annual bring your father-in-law to work day. This is where it all started. You didn't know that. Right there in the Old Testament is where it happened, right there. You know, they have muffins with mom, donuts with dad. Right here, bring your father-in-law to work day. See, you can learn stuff by reading the Bible. And the father-in-law, what he sees when he goes to work with Moses baffles him. And this is where the story picks up steam. It says in the scripture, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. Now, I want you to notice that Moses has become the judge of the people. And, and so they don't have a law. There's no judge. There's no authority. And every day, if you have a dispute, you show up and wait on Moses. All these people, single file line, one after the other, waiting in the desert. And by the way, it's really hot in the desert. I know I've been to the desert. I can tell you all about it. It's hot there. Okay. And so there they are. And he's waiting one-on-one. He's dealing with all these people. And so his father-in-law sees this and it says this, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for these people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening. Now, here's what's fascinating. Moses thought this is what he was supposed to do. His father-in-law looked at it and said, this is crazy. You're going to have to do this differently. It goes on and says, Moses answered him, well, because all these people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Now, in leadership, if you've been in leadership any time, you've probably learned this. If you stand still long enough, there is a line that will form in front of you because people have questions. A lot of times on Sunday morning, I'll be walking in. I mean, I'll just be going through the lobby trying to get to the worship center, you know, and somebody's got something on their mind, something they want to tell me. Maybe they've stored up all week and they want to catch me while they can because, you know, they're waiting because they know somebody else is going to catch me and they'll run up to me and they'll just start right a sentence, you know, they'll just start telling me something real quick. And I'll usually go, hi, how are you? I'm Joe, your name again. <laughs> I mean, I just kind of mess with them, you know, and they go, oh yeah, hi. Okay, now listen. And then they just go on and tell me what they want to tell me. Well, that's true in leadership. That's what happens a lot of times. And so because of that, Moses had never been to school. He'd never been trained. He didn't know what to do to deal with it. He just sat down. The next thing you know, a line formed. And so he said, well, this must be my job. Look at the line. They need me. They come to seek God's will from me. And it goes on. And Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Moses, you're wearing yourselves, yourself out. You're wearing them out. And then I want you to notice something. The way things are going now, you've taken on this responsibility to judge, and it has become a lose-lose. Now, this is a classic leadership blunder. His blunder is simply this. 
Moses accepted a role that distracted him from his primary responsibility. You see, God calls us to do certain things. He gifts us to do certain things. And sometimes God has never called us to do some of the things we do, thinking we're doing the right thing, thinking we're doing what God wants us to do. And he's saying, no, I never called you to that. And so that's an organizational trend that happens. It's exactly what Moses did. He got involved in something that distracted from his primary responsibility. It was a big mistake. Now, let me go on and explain that. It says, then. Listen now to me. This is Jethro. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Now I want you to catch this. What Jethro is saying to Moses is you are not the judge. You are the priest. You're not supposed to be dealing with individual situations. You're supposed to be dealing with corporate situations. You're supposed to bring the needs of the people to God, and God is the one who will judge and give direction and help to make that occur. You see that? Now, I want you to think about your life, and I want you to think to yourself, do I know my strengths? Do I know what God has called me to do? There was a time in my ministry when I was working, and you know, God never called me to do some of the things I was doing, really. He never called me to do that, and the church never called me to do that. I just self-imposed those things, and I had to learn how to change. I had to learn how to grow. I had to learn how to do things differently. He said, you're the priest but you're trying to wear the garments of the judge. You don't have any business being the judge. You're uniquely positioned for this nation to be the priest and the representative of the people to God. You also represent God to the people. And so you take the disputes of the people to God and you ask for his help, not individually, but corporately. And Moses goes to God and says, God, you know, this is later on, the people have messed up and Moses knows they've messed up. They've gotten into trouble. The nation has gotten into trouble. And Moses goes to God and he says, God, I know they've messed up, but please do not kill them. And he adds this word, and this has always been funny to me, please do not kill them all. (laughs) He didn't say, please do not kill them. He said, please do not kill them all. And it doesn't say this in the Bible, okay? It's just the way my mind thinks. And I'm thinking to myself, Moses had a list. And he said to God, these right here you can take out. They're out of here. They're the troublemakers. We don't need them around anymore. The rest of the folks leave. Don't kill them all. But, you know, these right here, if you have to kill somebody, take these. Take these people first. I remember I was serving at church, a lot of military people, and the, the, the general wouldn't go to me and say, which folks would you like to keep in the church? Which folks would you like to have moved somewhere else? I, I can send them out all over the world. Which ones would? He always took the ones I wanted to keep. He never did go the other route. He didn't listen to me. So Jethro, it goes on, and he says, teach them his decrees and instructions, 
and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. There's two things Moses is supposed to do. He's supposed to teach and he's supposed to show. And Moses is listening to Jethro and he's taking notes. And he goes, number one, teach. Number two, show. Okay, what's next? And Jethro says, that's it. That, that's it. That's your sweet spot. Those are the two things you're supposed to do. Other people are supposed to do the other things. You need to focus on the things that God has given you to do. And Jethro goes on. But select capable men from all the people, he says, men who fear God, trustworthy, men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. He's saying, divide them up and give some people around you that you trust. Give them responsibility. The people you trust the most, give them a thousand people to look after. Give the next ones a hundred. Give the next one um, ten on fifties and the next one tens. And so he's saying, and then you can make the really important decisions, but you let them make the rest of the decisions for themselves. And so now he's got a plan and it goes on in Exodus and it says, have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make the load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Now what he's saying is you're going to wear yourself and everybody else out because what happens at work? We have stress, we have strain, we have pressure, we have deadlines, we've got things we've got to get done. And so you, you really have to kind of measure what you're going to do and take care of what you can do and say, okay, that's all I can do for today. I'm going home. I'll hit it again tomorrow and just kind of live. You have to pace yourself. And oftentimes the stress and pressure of work is not how we are to live. We, we need to find those times when we're in our sweet spot. And you've had those days where you're doing what you're supposed to do and it's just flowing and everything's going great. And you're thinking, man, this is wonderful. I couldn't be happier. And then you have one of those days when you're, you have to call to do stuff that you really don't do well. You have to do it. You're not really good at it. And it's just like the day lasts forever. You're trying to get through it. And then finally you get through. It's just one of those days that's difficult. Jethro says to Moses, you'll experience less stress if you'll focus on the things that you can do. And then he goes on and it says this, and Moses did not listen to his father-in-law and did, did not do what he said. That's not what it says. It says, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Are you one of those people when somebody tries to help you, maybe they criticize something, but they're trying to help you. And what happens is you bow up because you don't like anybody telling you what to do. Moses didn't do that. Listen, good leaders know how to listen. 
They, they learn from other people. Other people have good ideas. Thank God I don't have to have all the good ideas. I'll still be sitting in my office today going, what's a good idea? Hmm, I can't think of one. You know, because other people can really help us in that category. And so Moses listened. And, and the leaders of ancient Israel, he listened to an inexperienced father-in-law, and he did everything he said. He, he appointed judges to help him. He took time to replace himself. And this is how the story ends. It says in Exodus, then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. Now, here's what I want you to hear. I don't want you to hear this is just a message about delegating because it is a message about delegating, but that's not all that it is. Okay. Let me elaborate on that. The moral to the story, the takeaway to the story is only do what only you can do. I'm, the, I'm a senior pastor here. I'm the lead pastor. There's some things that only I should do. There's a lot of things that I can give away to other people, uh, staff, lay people. There's a lot of people who help me all the time. I need their help. I appreciate people who pray for me. God bless them. May their tribe increase. I can't do everything. Once we got past 200 people in the new church I was serving years ago, then I was maxed out. Anybody after that, I needed help, okay? And so you can only do what you can do, but you've got to focus on the things that are important to you. And when you figure out what your unique contribution is to the team, that's when things go best. You realize what your strengths are and it works out. Now, the takeaway is to figure out what those strengths are because that's where you bring your greatest value to any organization. And there are four things that I want us to look at really quickly, okay? The first one's number one. You've got to discover what you're not good at and find ways to eliminate them from your schedule. And so that's something I had to learn how to do. And I had to say, you know, somebody else is better at that than I am. They can do that. I don't have to do everything. And I'll do what I do well. And I learned to do that, to figure out what you're no good at and let everybody just excel in the areas where they excel. And that's how they grow. And, you know, if you go to your team, if you're the leader and you go to your team and you sit down and you say to them, you know, I've been thinking about it and I've realized that such and such is not my forte. Nobody on your team is going to go, wait just a minute. They're going to get their pen out. They're going to write that down and say, I had no idea. <laughs> Listen, the whole team knows you're no good at it long before you do. And they're just looking around at each other going, he finally caught on. Thank the Lord. I can die a happy person now. We're making progress. He knows what's going on. So the point is you've got to figure out what are those things you're good at. And again, your motivation is good. You want to serve the Lord. You want to serve people and be a blessing. Now, the second thing is identify areas where you make the greatest contribution. You see, when you do what you're supposed to do, everything goes well. When you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're in trouble, right? Let me tell you about your boss. Your boss is a person who knows, usually knows what they're good at and what they're not, but they also probably know what you're good at and you're not. And so they look at you and they go, you know, I can give this to so-and-so. They can do that well. So-and-so needs to handle this. They can handle that well. And so then you don't have tension and struggle and strife because you've got the right people in the right position. That can happen with lay people as well. Now, third, 
Give your best time to what makes your biggest impact. In other words, that's where you need to spend your time. Whatever it is that you do well, that's where you need to focus. You remember we talked when we started this series, we talked about putting the big rocks in first and then the other things fall in and everything has its place and there's room for everything then. Well, you've got to determine what are the priorities? What are the big rocks? Those are the things I need to take care of and then I'll go ahead and take care of the other things. Give your best time to the most important things. And then number four, you have to develop other leaders. And I wish I had more time to talk about this because there's so much written on it, but you have to develop other leaders. Now, I don't have time to tell you everything, but let me give you one clue about developing other leaders. You don't have to make all the decisions. Amen? Thank the Lord. Oh, I'm so happy for that. That's good news to me. I'm telling you, I got here. The first thing I did was I formulated an executive team. I brought in several of the staff. I said, look, we're going to do things by consensus. We're going to talk this through. We're going to find the answer together. And then when we collectively find it, we want to go carry it out. Then It's not, Joe said we have to do it. I guess we'll go do it now. But rather, well, what's the, and they'll come up with great ideas. I said, that's a great idea. I've never thought of that before. That's wonderful. Let's do that. Now, what was Moses' problem? Moses got in trouble because he was making all the decisions. People were lining up. He was going, next, <laughs> next, next. I mean, he's about to pass out. The people are tired. He's tired. Everybody's worn out. It's not working that way. So, he, you know, the best thing you can do is say to them, I'll let you decide. You know, you can make that decision. That's in your pay grade. That's okay. I don't have to make all the decisions. Ask, ask the staff. They'll tell you, I don't have to make all the decisions. Some of them I have to make. Some of them I have to do. There was one time I made a decision, and I said, we're going to do this differently in the church. And, and it was something that was so important that I just wouldn't let it go. And I said, and people said, can we change it back? And I said, no, this is more important. And here's why. I kept telling them why. And, and they would say, well, can we change it back? And I, and instead, I never said no. I just kept saying, here's why we're going to do it this way. This is why it's important. And you know what? In that one instance, that was one time when I was right. Yeah. One, one time. But I was. I was right that time. But I'm not right all the time. And very quickly, you learn where to serve. And so there are a couple of big takeaways. You're going to find it much easier to establish a sustainable pace if you if you are able to share and be a part of a, a plan that everybody participates corporately the second thing you will end up with an organization that reflects your strengths and not your weaknesses because you've delegated to people who do things better than you do anyway now, historically here's an interesting thing i don't know if you ever noticed this or not but the nation of Israel was the first nation in history to be ruled by law and judges and not by a king. The first nation in history and the last one for a long time was ruled by law and judges and not by a king. There was no prime minister and no president. 
And the ultimate authority was the law. And the judges told the people what the law was based on what God had taught them to do. And, for, and that started in 1500 B.C. And the strength of ancient Israel in the early days was they had no king. They had judges who interpreted the law. And here's what's important. The reason they had gifted and equipped judges is because Moses quit doing it all himself. And the nation was exactly the way God originally intended it from the first place. Isn't that amazing? It took a leader to say, you know what? I don't have to make all the decisions. I don't have to do everything. I need to rely on other people to help me. So much more will get done. And this is really the way God structured it anyway. That's important to remember. Now, you want an organization that reflects your strengths and not your weaknesses, and that's how you get there. At the beginning, I said this is for your job. This is for your workplace. So here is the danger, danger, danger sign that I want to share. Don't try these principles at home. Okay, this doesn't work at home. You can't delegate things at home. Men, you cannot go home and say to your wife, honey, you're always complaining about how I'm not very affectionate, and romantic, and nurturing, so I'm just going to delegate that to somebody else. It reminds me of the joke of the couple who go to the counselor. The husband and the wife go in. They start talking together. It doesn't take too long to figure out what's going on. And so the counselor stands up beside the wife, and he gives her a hug, and he looks at the husband, and he says, your wife needs this every day, several times a day, several days a week, and at least at a bare minimum, you need to do that every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That needs that. She needs that Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And the old boy sat there and thought for himself. He looked at the doctor and he said, well, doc, I can get her in here on Monday and Wednesday, but I play golf on Friday. <laughs> So you can't delegate that. You'll get in trouble trying that. Ladies, do not go home and say, honey, you know how you're always wanting to listen to me about your dreams and ideas? Well, I'm not really very good at that. I'm a doer. I'm kind of a get-her-done kind of gal. I'm not really good at listening. I'm not going to be able to sit and do that anymore. You can't do that. If you're not a good listener, you need to become a good listener. And don't try this at home, all right? These things we talked about, they're for the workplace. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you teach us. Thank you for what your word says. Thank you that sometimes things just strike us funny. So we're just trying to learn, and it's just funny to us when we read it. Because, Lord, I know you have a sense of humor, and you give us an opportunity to laugh with you. Lord, I pray that we'll be like Moses. We'll listen. When you've got something to say, that you'll send somebody to us, and they'll whisper in our ear the very thing we need to hear at the very time we need to hear it. Lord, I pray that we won't bow up and say, nobody can tell me what to do. But Lord, I pray we'd be humble and receptive, and I pray that we would listen. 
And I would pray, Lord, that we would just jump on it with both feet. Say, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, I want to do it. And I want to do it to the best of my ability. I want to focus on what I do well. And I want to trust other people to do what they do well as well. Lord, that's the church, the body of Christ. We all have gifts. We all use them for your glory. Thank you for the privilege to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... 